Our Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is that we can come together in your name and uh, focus again on a tomb that's empty. And the fact that a Savior lives in our hearts today, and we can share that message with all those who have experienced it and those who have not. We want to pray, Father, that your good and Holy Spirit would be among us today. And we're so very, very thankful at the springtime that surround us, at this season that we're in right now, we want to pray, Father, that all things would work together for the good to those that are called by your name, and that you would work in each of our hearts in a way that would bear fruit and nurture a personal relationship with thee, and that that would be fostered on this day of Easter. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to welcome everyone this morning to our uh, Easter service 2021. Uh, this morning's message might be a little bit of a tour de force, as we're going to look at a lot of scripture. I'm a little bit concerned that it might be too fast, um, but nevertheless, as the Spirit has inspired a line of thinking in my heart, I think that I'm going to just take the risk and go with it. Be glad. Be glad. Every debt that you ever had has been paid up in full. By the grace of the Lord, be glad. Would like to remind you of one small little detail about Jesus' passing before we actually go into the Easter message. He was not killed for you and for me. He was not killed. He willingly gave up his life for you and me. As I read the verses and example in Mark 15, 37, when it says, and Jesus cried with a loud voice and he gave up the ghost, I don't understand that to mean that his body had just had enough and gave up. That's not what happened, I don't think. I think in that moment, Jesus chose to lay down his life. He took his last breath at his choosing for you and for me. And that was the moment in some ways where a relation with him, a personal relationship, could start. This morning, we're here to celebrate with each other the fairest of 10,000. Everybody ought to know. Who, who remembers the hymn? Well, we don't sing that these days anymore. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000. Everybody ought to know. You know, maybe the, uh, this morning, maybe after the prayer, when you're all leaving, maybe I'll, I'll just sit down and and play a verse two of it while, while you're all leaving. You don't have to hang around, but I would really like you to get that hymn in your mind's ear, so to speak, this morning. Everybody ought to know, and that's what we're hoping for today. Um, I'd like to start the sermon with the end in mind, so let me tell you where we're going to wind up, and then... We'll get there with each other. We will wind up with each other this morning at Hebrews 
Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. I would like to explain it this way. This is not about Jesus being the same. Uh, get, Get this way putting it. Jesus yesterday, Jesus today, Jesus forever. That's where we're going to wind up this morning. The gospel message starts and ends with Jesus. And the responsibility, actually, that any minister of the gospel has is to do as good as we can to be able to bring that message to lost souls that all of life begins and ends with the person of Jesus. The central teaching of the gospel is of the resurrection. Because the resurrection is all about Jesus. There were godly men that lived. But the real difference in Christian teaching is that Jesus lives. He lives. No other religious person or religious personality could ever make that claim. Jesus lives. And this is what's so different about our Christian faith. And because he lives is why we're here together with each other. Because he lives. This morning, I really would like to um, challenge each one of us to consider in your personal faith, what kind of relationship do you have with Jesus? And this might sound kind of strange to people about developing a personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe even brothers and sisters in faith are a little bit fuzzy or confused in their own framework of their personal belief. Do you have an active personal relationship with Jesus? And this is the kind of good work that we'd like to provoke people unto this morning with all your heart and being, to pursue that as we see in the message of the Gospels. You know, it's very interesting, as we read in all of the Gospels after the resurrection, has it ever occurred to you that every single one of them has to do with a personal interaction of Jesus? We don't find as an example for him to be resurrected and then suddenly preaching to the masses. We find a series of, of biblical narratives where Jesus had personal interactions with people. And I don't believe that that's, that's not a mistake. That is, that is partially what the gospel is communicating to us, that once Jesus rose from the dead, he sought out personal relationships with people. And for me, the archetype, so to speak, of that event would, of course, be in his interaction with Mary Magdalene. So let's read that with each other from John 20. Even though I should say we're not going to be hanging on to this very long, but I just want to make this point with the help of the Spirit about how Jesus resurrected and then starts in advance a personal relationship with this dear soul, Mary. Let's read with each other from verse 11 of John 20. So just one quick part of this. As we read John 20, we find out that Mary and the women have been there. They see that the sepulcher is empty. They return, tell the disciples, and then they come back again. And according to the narrative of John, 
this actually happens, it would seem, as Mary is the second time at the sepulcher. It would seem. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and see two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. And she turned. And saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my father, and your father, and to my God, and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things to her. I'm imagining in my own mind's eye that like Jesus, uh, we read about Jesus' mother. She cherished these things in her heart. This is a moment for Mary Magdalene that would never, ever leave her, not only for her life, but I think in these days after the resurrection was somehow of a guiding stay for her. And this is no accident that these first expressions of the resurrection were very, very personal. And I guess the thing that I have to ask you this morning is, if you believe in the resurrection, is it something in your mind that is just part of a framework of faith, or is it something for you that's personal? Something for you, actually, that you can relate to on the level of the day. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. That kind of a faith is very, very different than believing in something that's part of a framework, but it's sort of hermetically sealed for your protection over on a shelf somewhere, and not something that is very, very active in our mind and in our heart. The message is Jesus is seeking a lifelong personal relationship with each one of us. A lifelong personal relationship with each one of us. You know, people talk sometimes about accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the thing that I have in my mind's eye, it's like you get a postcard in the mail that's addressed to you. You put a check in the box and then return to the sender. That's not what a relationship with Jesus is like. A relationship with Jesus is something that have life and breath and meaning. And something that can be lived out something like every day. And I'm wondering, even with the relationship that Mary Magdalene had with him, if this event with him in the garden wasn't something that actually took it to the nth degree. I'm imagining in my mind's eye that in that moment when she turned around, you can just imagine weepy eyes, not being able to see, realizing that it might be him, taking for a moment to wipe her eyes to see if it's really true, if it's really him, and then apparently she goes to him and tries to hold him or tries to touch him or tries to do something that he actually says, don't, don't, don't touch me. Don't, don't touch me yet. I'm, I'm not ascended to my father. 
But, you know, that was the instant, the instinct that she had. Immediately when she realized that it was him, to run to him and to embrace him, that speaks about something special. And is that something that would be there for you in my relationship with Jesus? That in our lives, when we actually see him in the affairs of our life, that we would want to go and embrace him and grab his feet, as it were, when we recognize him working in him there? He wants you, and he wants me, and he wants all of you, and he wants all of me. And when we're called to follow him, there's nothing that we can really leave behind. Faith in Jesus is not a religious framework. It's not something that we believe. I like to put it this way sometimes. You know, are you more committed to your beliefs about Jesus or are you committed to Jesus? That's a real temptation that each of us have in our lives. We gain beliefs about Jesus that somehow embody um, our, 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 our interactions with him. But he doesn't want us to have beliefs about him. He wants us to believe him. He wants us to interact with him in our lives of faith just like he interacted with those disciples. Jesus is the framework. Without Jesus, there is no framework of faith. He is the beginning. He's the middle. He's the end. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Without that name, there's nothing. The name above all names, the Bible says. And you know what? This is a challenge that we have in life. Like, I've been there. I know what it's like to sometimes live according to, like, a sets of beliefs, but not really have that intimacy with the Spirit and intimacy with the Lord. <clears throat> For some, you know what? The beginning of a personal relationship with Jesus started when they converted, when their life was changed. But I also have to say that sadly for many, that life stalled. It stalled. And they actually did not continue to lead a life that ever grew in the Lord and in their relationship to Jesus. I don't like to use the term as an example that a conversion is a defining moment. As I go on in life, less and less am I inclined to use that phrase of a defining moment. Because I believe that our walk with Jesus is something that continues to progress and grow. We have many defining moments. Maybe just a conversion was the first defining moment. But it is not the moment that suddenly brings all things together in life. It is the start of a personal walk with the Lord. But Jesus means for that life to continue to grow, continue to blossom, continue to bear fruit, Continue to learn things. Continue to experience new things. Continue to gain insight. Continue to gain meaning. Continue to gain attachment. Continue to gain commitment. This is the life in Jesus that he has called each of us to by the power of the resurrection. I don't know if you have any messianic friends. Or if you ever listen to messianic music, you know what? I like listening to messianic worship music, something that I've just gained to do over the years. So let me tell you one small thing about the messianics. When you listen to their music, everything is about Messiah Yeshua. 
everything is about Jesus Messiah. Their whole interpretation of faith is through the eyes of Messiah. And this comes out so very, very strongly when you're listening to the the, uh, creative things as an example that they do in their music. In their world, as an example, the whole interpretation of the Old Testament is a pre-revelation in every way of Messiah Yeshua. There's not like the Old Testament revelation and the New Testament revelation. It's one revelation, which is what we preach. There are not different dispensations. There's one dispensation. Everything is Jesus. Our interpretation of the Old Testament is tightly linked with the foreshadowing of Jesus. But in their world, they seek out all of the connections between the Old Testament and the coming of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is everything. And even in our reading of the Old Testament, we might sometimes tend to sort of separate the two. Or our belief in Jesus is something that's part of the religious framework, but not the central part. Jesus says, I am the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but through me. Everything starts and is the center and ends with him. And I guess in some ways, brothers and sisters, I'm asking this morning whether or not the reality of the resurrection is something that is really deeply personal to you and something perhaps in this Easter time will gain new meaning and new insights from it. Starting and ending with Jesus was not something new. Can I remind you of what we're told in the Acts in Acts 17? This was what Paul did. This is what Paul did. It says, And Paul, as the manner was, went in unto them three Sabbath days and reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is indeed Christ. His starting point was Jesus. And I'm wondering, if somebody asks you of the hope that you have, and you give testimony to other people of your faith and belief, does it start with Jesus? Or are you going to start someplace else in trying to explain to them what you believe? This has clear precedent in the Bible that the testimony of the resurrection needs to start and end with Jesus. We're going to be getting to that a little bit more. Our teaching is anchored in the person of Jesus. Everything that's there is Jesus. The Gospel of John teaches us in John 1 two very, very central things that we're told. The the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The revelation of God, the word, God's expression is Jesus. His expression is not even the law. His expression is Jesus. He says, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
God's deepest thoughts are not explained in the law. His deepest expression to us came through his son, who he means for us to have a relationship with. The Bible also teaches us that the power of the testimony of the resurrection was about Jesus. And a personal identification with the resurrection. We're not called to give testimony of our framework. We're not called to give testimony of creeds. We are not called to give testimony of other personal beliefs. We are called to give testimony of Jesus. We read in Acts 4, 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. What do you think the power was in the testimony that they gave? They had miraculous words that somehow were otherworldly, that was somehow going to make a difference to people? No, the testimony that they gave about the resurrection was something that was personal. It was their personal connection with Jesus, ultimately, that gave the thing power. And we read in the scripture, and grace was upon all. And that personal connection they articulated as being through the resurrection, that was the connection that they had with Jesus. Yes, they were there. Some of them were present. But even beyond that, their real connection to the Savior was the fact that he lives. And they are connected to him every moment or every day. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. He holds the future. And the great hope that we have for you and me, as with Mary Magdalene, is that he was with her along the way. It wasn't only that he was alive, he was still with her. And the rest of the disciples felt that also. He said he's going to stay with us. And when the grave was empty, they knew then what he meant, that he was going to continue to be along with them. And for you, my brother and sister and friend, when I ask you about your faith, are you going to say that it's Jesus that's my joy, Jesus that's my comfort, Jesus that's my stay? This is what he offers. And even more so, this is what he wants. Jesus taught us special things about the testimony that we give. He taught us things in an indirect way. giving testimony of Jesus, you know what, is the only thing that is worth hearing for another soul. If we give testimony of other things, uh, in the long run, I'm going to suggest to you that the words are going to be poverty-stricken. And if Jesus gets left out of the message, it might even be daylight robbery. Jesus said, and I say unto you, that whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels. Do you get the power of that word? He didn't ask, he didn't say, those who give confession about me. He said, you confess my name before men. And when you give testimony of me and confess me, then then also will confession of your name be given in other places. It's all about Jesus. 
The Bible calls us to these Mary Magdalene moments, if I can sort of use that phrase. You're familiar with this verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, where the Apostle Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. When he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, he's talking about a Mary Magdalene moment. That's the kind of knowing him that he's referring to and the power of his resurrection. The Bible tells us specifically that there are two things in the New Testament that we have by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Do you know what they are? One of them you're going to guess right off is hope. Hope. The other one that we're going to read with each other is the answer of a good conscience that we have by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The hope that we have in Christ. Hope that we have in Christ is something that can be boundless and something that can have just so many different facets to it. Oh, we can use the word. I think you ended the Bible class with it, right? Brother Rod asked a question and three words came out. Hope, I forget what the other ones were. But let's look a little bit about the hope for, for just a few moments. One of the wonderful things of hope that we have is of course that that one day when we stand before the Lord, that our names will be written in the book of life. And you know what? Let me tell you something about the resurrection. Do you know the Bible teaches us that everyone will be resurrected? Everyone will be resurrected. The Bible says that some will be resurrected for the good that they had done and others will be resurrected for the bad that we had done. But you know what? Resurrection is a real thing that one day we're all going to stand before God. And for those that really have the faith on that day, that we are going to hear the words, Thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. You know what? There is nothing quite as comforting and nothing that, that, that quite speaks to us deep in our heart, knowing where we're going. And we actually have that assurance of faith to know where our end is going to be. I can still, you know, hear the words that I, 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 it's just because of the way he said it. I remember once in Billy Graham's preaching, he said, you know, people ask me, are you absolutely sure? And he said, I'm absolutely sure where I'm going. There was just a, a nice way, but I hear the words in which he said it. You could tell that it was so genuine. Yes, that's the hope that we have that one day we're going to meet him. But you know what? The hope that we have in that it goes further. I have to tell you, you know, and some of you, of course, everybody experiences this. But as I look out over this congregation, and I look out, when I think of, you know, when, what the congregation was like when we first moved to Syracuse, you know, 30 uh, uh, years ago, to a lot of different people here. I'm not going to go and name them. It'll probably make you sad if I would name them, but I'm not going to name them today because today is a day of happiness and not... Today, the message of today is when you look around our sanctuary and you can remember where each of them sat. Remember over there? Remember over there? Remember over there? 
We have that hope in the Lord Jesus that one day we will be reunited again with him. Our parting with them was not forever. We don't say farewell. It's more like I see you later. Because those who are part of that vast number, that great host who have gone on before us, we have that faith that we are going to meet them one day together with the Lord. Or the Bible says that we're going to be caught up with them together in the cloud on that resurrection, when the trumpet sounds and the dead arise and we're called back to him in that moment, we will be reunited with our loved ones. And you know what? That really means something to me. Those are not just words. That means something to know that those in faith really live in eternity and our relationship with them is not at an end. It's just at a slight pause. Mary Magdalene had hope that whatever she was going to face, Jesus was still going to be with her. He was still going to be with her. And can you imagine when she ran and told the disciples, I I don't think that she was consumed with having left Jesus. There was a kind of excitement knowing that he was still there and he would be with them along the way. I don't know how many of you have, um, have seen the movie Risen. F- five years old. It's worth watching. You should watch it if you haven't seen it yet. It's about the centurion that was called to investigate the empty tomb. He was in that horribly awkward place called before Pilate to investigate what happened with this empty tomb thing. Talk about a no-win situation. The story ultimately is about a man who comes to faith. But there's just one moment that I would like to draw your attention to, and that's his questioning in that movie and his interrogation of Mary Magdalene. You can imagine that this happened as they were trying to find out what, what, what is this hoax? Where did the beginning of the hoax start? Okay, and they were started tracking down each of the disciples and questioning them and wanted to find out what, what, what really happened here. And the stole couldn't have rolled away all by itself. And what happened with it? You know, it was sort of like an interrogation. That undoubtedly happened to Mary. And you know what? She had come off of meeting the Lord in the garden, in the cool of the garden. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me that that I'm his own. And the joy we shared as we tarried there, none other can ever know. She was still in that moment. And this centurion is trying to put the squeeze on her to get her to admit where the hoax started. And her mind is in the garden. You can tell she she is in a different place with Jesus. And then he starts getting nasty. And he starts threatening her with torture, or we can get this out of you as we, and you could tell in that moment, she did not care. She was in the moment with Jesus and knew that he would be with her even if things really got ugly.
it might not really have happened like that. But the point is, in Mary's faith, as we see her in the garden, I can well, well imagine that that was like that for many of the disciples. Even though this could get ugly, it didn't matter because the reality of the resurrection was something that was so personal and so real that Jesus said, I will be with you until the end of the earth. And they really, really believed it. And it was something that they could hold on to and something that they knew wasn't words. They knew now that there was power in this thing and the power was theirs for them to hold on to and cling to and live by. The we can look at our yesterdays and not have a guilty conscience for yesterday is such an incredible blessing. People of faith do not live with the debt burden of yesterday. People in faith are relieved of that burden. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 3.21, The like figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but of the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus yesterday, because our guilt is in the past yesterday. Jesus today, because he lives today. Jesus forever, because he will walk with us upon our way. And we know that we will be called to meet him in the air when the trump sounds. Standing in heaven, in majesty right now is the Lamb of God, the King of Kings. And in his blood, you and I have pardoned and we've been forgiven. And we can live with him every day, but we will also spend eternity with him, Jesus Christ, forever. The Lord bless his message to us today.